We're so grateful for what you did for us, that you gave yourself for us. Father, we worship you, we honor you, we glorify you today, not just this day, but every day with our lives, and we love you so much. We're so grateful for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Good to be in the house of God today, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Welcome, welcome everyone to Family Church Fredonia, one of 10 family churches meeting around the region today, plus a church that met over in Spain. Uh, I guess it would be earlier this morning. Well, we were all quite asleep, probably, most of us. Uh, so, so excited to be a part of what God is doing in this region and around the world. Amen. You know, something exciting. It pertains to all the family churches. Uh, Pastor Jeff Michener from our Mayville family church is actually over in Spain right now, or well, I guess they're in Sweden, but he's been traveling with Reverend Rich Walker, who's uh, he and his wife, Pastor Daphne, pastor our church in Spain. And so uh, they've been over there just kind of plowing the field, seeing what God has for them. But just exciting to know that things are happening in the family churches. Amen. The word of God's getting spread. There's a net going out to bring in the last day harvest, not just in... Uh, our little corner of the world, but all over the world. Amen. And we're all a part of that. So praise God for that. If you have your Bibles this morning, open them to Acts chapter 2 with me. Acts chapter 2. And as you do, we'll dismiss our kids down to their children's church program. Kids, you can head down. Leaders, you can also go, please. <laughs> so that it's not just the kids heading downstairs. That would be a recipe for disaster. Uh, Happy Father's Day, everyone, all the dads out there. We have a special treat for all the guys 18 years of age and older. And now I know, ladies, you're going to get mad at me because we gave you flowers and we're giving the guys chocolate. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. Take it from your husband. That's, that's all I got. But uh, So there, uh, dads, guys, make sure that you grab some in the back after service. And if you want to sow that to your spouse, that is your choice. What you do with your seed. Praise the Lord. So... Not telling you what to do, uh, but you'll reap a harvest. So there you go. Uh, and just, uh, just to echo what Edwin said earlier, of course, we have prayer after service today. We'd love to have you join us for that. It's 10 minutes, and we'll make power available for the services, uh, for the Miracle Crusades that are coming up in August. Aren't you thrilled about those? Praise the Lord. We've got a packed summer this year, but we're excited for what God's doing in it. Amen. We've got our camp meeting next week with Pastor Michael. So thrilled about that. Can't wait to see contending for the faith, what he has for us. And then, of course, we have the Miracle Crusades coming up in August. And so we're just going to get everything God has for us this summer. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, let's see. I dismiss the kids. We're in Acts chapter 2. And so uh, last time I ministered, which wasn't last Sunday, we had our family day last Sunday. Wasn't that great? That was wonderful, wasn't it? That was a wonderful time. You know, I heard a lot of folks say, we only get so many months of summer, let's do it every weekend. Uh, we'll have to see. It's not our property, right? But uh, maybe we, we can take up a petition or have a congregational vote while pastors are away. I'm sure that would go over great, wouldn't it? Hey, pastors, I took up a vote while you were gone. We're going to have service at your house every Sunday from now on. That would be the last thing you'd ever hear from me, but at least we'd have fun. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, but that was such a great time, so we'll see. Maybe we will have another one of those. But either way, we have the reunion coming up, and that's always a wonderful time. So uh, the last time that we were here, I filled in for pastor and I ministered uh, on the local church. And so we're going to pick that up today. Uh, just a quick review to go over some things. 
We're talking about the local church. That's what we are here. There's the church at large, the body of Christ, but then we have our local church. And of course, there's you know, millions of local churches around the world probably, at least hundreds of thousands, if not millions of them around the world. Uh, Brother Hagen, our pastor's spiritual father, said this, what God wants to do in these last days is build strong local churches that will preach the word and move with the spirit. Strong local churches. And so it seemed good to me, it was on my heart to minister on this line, just to check up on ourselves, make sure that that's what we are, amen, as a strong local church. We can always, you know, we always have newer folks coming, and so it's good to go over some of the basics of the church. We talked about water baptism and communion, some of those things that should take place in a church from time to time. Uh, But also we talked about how easy it is to just play church, to just follow the formulas of church, right, to just come here and do what we know we're supposed to do, do it in the order that we're supposed to do it in. You know, every weekend I make up one of these little orders of service that has welcome, worship, sermon, worship, and then prayer or whatever is at the end of it. We could just take this and follow it and just use this as the letter of the law and do it because it's what it says to do. But if we do that, we're missing the spirit of it, right? We're missing bringing God into it with us. We don't just want to play church. We don't just want to repeat the steps or follow the formulas. We want to do things because the word says to and because the spirit of God is telling us to do them that way. Amen? And so we went back, we looked at God's original plans for the New Testament church. We looked at the founding of the church to kind of see uh, the blueprint for it. And so we're going to pick up there in the scriptures today. Acts chapter 2 And in verse 41, and now remember, this is right after the day of Pentecost. Uh, Peter just got filled with the Holy Ghost along with the 120 disciples in the upper room. And so he goes out and he preaches a fiery sermon. Did you know you can preach a fiery sermon after you pray in tongues? Wow, shocking, right? Some folks think you can't today. They think that if you have tongues, you can't also get people saved. And so uh, we see in the word it worked, and that still works for today, right? Praise the Lord. So uh, if it worked for Peter, it's going to work for us, but... So they're all convicted. They know that they're sinners in need of a savior. And so uh, that's where we pick up here in verse 41. Peter preached Jesus unto him. And then they that were gladly baptized, I'm sorry, they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul Oh, I just lost my place here. Fear came upon every soul. Aha, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily as should be saved. So we looked, I told you that there's 10 characteristics, 10 building blocks, 10 foundational points of the New Testament local church. We looked at the first one listed here, which was water baptism. It's an experience separate from salvation. Water baptism doesn't get us saved, but it's a public proclamation that we have been saved and that Jesus is our Lord. And we got to baptize some folks last week, so that was great, right, to see folks putting that into practice and publicly proclaiming that they love Jesus. 
Uh, also, they came to church. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And so that meant that they came to church, that when the church was open, they were there. We see later down where it says that they were there continuing daily with one accord in the temple. So we could start daily services and we'd be following the word of God. It's not on the agenda, but we could, right? Praise the Lord. Uh, you can't fulfill. We looked at that when we talked about the apostles' doctrine. We looked at the ministry gifts, the gifts of the pastor, uh, and that you can't fulfill God's plan for your life without a pastor, without the local church. I'm just blazing through a review here because we've got more to get through today. The next one, they continued in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. They spent time together. We saw that our closest fellowship ought to be of those with like-minded faith. And we put that into practice last week, too. We just had church last week, didn't we? We had church, we had all these things, and we had fellowship together. And that was great time up there, just spending time together as the family that God has called all of us to be. Amen? Uh, and then we talked about communion, the breaking of bread. It was an act of worship, and we saw in 1 Corinthians 11 that it helps keep us in an intimate relationship with Jesus, so that if there's things in our life that he needs to address with us, that he can talk to us about it in those times, both individually, corporately, as a church, whatever it might be, but it keeps him involved and not just doing it out of vain repetition. And then the last one we looked at really briefly last week was prayers. They continued in prayers, and we talked about how Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We saw in James that prayer makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working, that it, we need power to do what God wants to do in this place. You know, you could go preach the gospel without electricity, but you can't preach the gospel without, the word, without God, right? You need God in there with you. And so we want to have his power with us. We do that by generating that through prayer, which is what we're doing after service today, what we do on Monday nights. We make that power available so that when the time comes that we need it, it's already built up and ready for us. And so uh, we're going to pick up there with uh, the new ones that we're looking at. We've got five more to get through today. And so we'll believe for a working of miracles this morning to get it done. Uh, verse 43, Acts 2.43, it says, And fear came upon every soul. So we're going to say the sixth foundational piece of the New Testament church is fear. You think, what are you talking about? I'll tell you, if you come to church, God will scare the hell out of you. <laughs> oh, I mean, but, right? But really, right? We want to come here and have, uh, instead of fear, I say that tongue in cheeky, a better word would be honor, right? We want to come here and have such an honor for God that we're, we're afraid to displease him. You know, we know this, and we'll preface anything said today with this, God loves us. He loves us with an unconditional love greater than we can understand or comprehend. The Bible says that our love is considered evil compared to his love for us. And on Father's Day, we celebrate the father of all fathers. Amen? Uh, but we know this too, that it says here that fear came upon every soul. And it doesn't just say that for, for no reason. There's a purpose for it. The Amplified Translation says this, And a sense of awe or reverential fear came upon every soul. So this is something that today we would call honor. Now this word honor, uh, we know this, honor has been lost in recent generations, right? You can look back in the history of uh, not just the world, but especially of our nation here in America, and you can see how honor has been lost over that time. And I'm not just talking about in the church, I mean honor in general. 
you know, it started in the church. It started with God. When you look back probably the 50s, 60s in there, when folks stopped honoring God, everything else started to fall like a domino, right? Honor for elders started to dwindle. Uh, honor for leadership, honor for experience, you know, and now you look at uh, the workforce that's going out there today, you know, they have no honor for those that have gone before them. They have no honor for those that have laid tracks, that have laid paths. They have no honor for experience that has gone before them, none whatsoever. You know, uh, you look at things like abortion, there's no honor for life. There's no honor for the laws of God. There's no honor for things. And that started off back in, you know, the mid-20th century, I guess, when folks initially lost that honor for God. And that's in, that's in the world. In the church, that can creep in just as much. You study it all throughout Bible history, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Things that were outside the house of God, outside the church, they would start to creep in. Paul, most of his letters, especially to churches in uh, tumultuous areas like Galatia or the Corinthians, he had to write those letters to them to correct them for allowing the doctrines that were outside the church that were creeping into the church. Things that were happening in Corinth, which was, you know, an incredibly loose and sinful city, probably equivalent to our modern-day Las Vegas or, some, or New Orleans, something like that. Those things had started to creep into the church, and so he had to put a stop to it. Well, we can't allow that to happen to us today. Right? The dishonor that's out there in the world for the things of God, we can't allow those to start to creep in. And you say, well, that'll never happen. That'll never happen. Oh, it sure can. And it's easier than you think. Right? And we'll see some of those things. Proverbs 14.34, you don't have to turn there. It says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. When a nation loses honor for God, that nation will fail. That nation will fail unless they repent and go back. You see it all through the Bible. We've seen it. You see it in the nation of Israel in the Bible. You've seen it through church age. You study church history the last 2,000 years. It happened over and over again. And you can see it happening in America unless the church rises up, takes her place in prayer like pastors have been teaching us to do. Amen. Praise the Lord. So talking about honor in the church, if a church does not show honor for God, that church will lack the power of God. We want the power of God in our midst, don't we? We could say it like this, honor for God. You know, we used to have, uh, we used to have a bread maker, a bread machine. Now we just buy bread. It's so much easier, right? I mean, it tastes good, but come on, who has that much time when I could just go and pick it off a shelf at the store? Uh, you know, but we used to have a bread machine, and one of the ingredients when you make bread is yeast. What does yeast do? It takes all these other tasty ingredients. Yeast itself doesn't bring any flavor. It tastes awful on its own. But yeast takes all these other wonderful ingredients and makes them rise higher, right? That's what honor does to the house of God. We could talk about all these other points of the local church, but if we don't have honor for him, it's just going to be flat. It's just going to be doing what we've always done the way we've always done it. Honor brings us up. And so... We want to look at these things to make sure that we're keeping honor in the ingredients so we're not having flat church, right? Nobody wants pita church around here. We want, we want, well, not sourdough, whatever, whatever your favorite bread. I mean, sourdough has a bad, what? Brioche. That look on your face when you said that, that was, that was passion right there. Let's look at what God says about honor in his house. Uh, you don't have to turn there just for the sake of time, plus I'm using a different translation for this. But 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 29, and I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible. 
And it says this, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Now God here is talking to Eli, who's a backslidden priest in Israel. Uh, as a priest, he's supposed to be the one that leads in honor. He's supposed to be the one, you know, you study out uh, Levitical law, the tribe of Levi was the priestly tribe. And so Eli comes from this tribe and he's supposed to lead the people of Israel in the laws of God, in honor for him. He's supposed to be the one enforcing them. But uh, instead, he's backslidden. And so he's not enforcing them. He's actually going a 180 full in the other direction. Uh, his kids are causing a ruckus. They're disrupting the temple. They're not doing things the way that they're supposed to be done. And he's just turning a blind eye to it. You know, he may not have done everything wrong himself, but he's not correcting things that need to be corrected. And as a priest, that was his responsibility. So God here is saying, listen, I may have said that the call was going to remain in the house of Levi, but you're not qualified for it. Why? Because he didn't have honor. And so God removed himself from that situation. At that moment, Eli forfeited having God in the temple at that moment because he refused to have honor for him in his place, refused to have honor for him. And so, you know, we could say this, that's Old Testament, right? Things were harsher back then. That was the law. We're under grace. And so today, if that were to happen, God would just say, oh, Eli, It's okay, little guy. That's all right. I'm still, I still love you. I'm still going to show up and manifest myself in supernatural ways. You can have all of the wonderful things that the law gives you, even if you don't follow me the way that I said to follow me. That's not what would happen today. That's not what would happen today. Today, and this is in the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's see what the law of grace says, this precious grace that we love so much. I mean, we are thankful for grace. I'm grateful that if I make a mistake, I'm not going to get swallowed up in the earth, right? Uh, but there's still principles, and honor is one of those that lasts throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament through every covenant that man has ever had with God. 2 Timothy 2 verse 12 says this, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Deny means to disavow or to reject. Not giving God the honor that is bestowed upon him, the honor that he requires in his word is rejecting him. And he says that if we reject him, he will reject us. Now this is heavy in the you know, 20, 21st century American gospel where everybody can get everything they want you know, for free, right? There is a price that has to be paid and that price is the price of honor. And what does honor mean? Let's look at it because we could say that word honor and it means different things to different people. In the Old Testament, Honor was a very specific set of rules that they had to follow. For us, God doesn't deal externally with rules and policies, right? He deals internally with our spirits. Now, we still do some of the same things, but we do them from a heart and not just from our minds or because we were told to do them, right? And that's kind of the theme with everything that we're looking at today is not just doing things because we were told to do them, doing them because our heart is connected with him. And we want to please him. We want to honor him. There's that desire in you to do that. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. 
Luke 7, verse 47. I'm sorry, 37. Luke 7, 37, and it says, And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Some of you should do that to Pastor Michael next time that he ministers here. (laughs) Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman that is that touches him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have somewhat to say to you. And he says, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? And Simon answered and said, I suppose he to whom forgave most. And he said, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, You see this woman, I entered into your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil you did not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto you, Unto you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now there's so many things in this section of scripture that we could look at. and We we don't have time to go through all of them this morning. We could talk about the offering. We could talk about judgment. We could talk about the love walk. We could talk about forgiveness, all of those things. But the big picture here is I was... You know, seeking the Lord on what illustration to use for this. What I saw in these verses is that this man was playing church. This man had Jesus in his midst. But as a Pharisee, all he was doing was what he was required to do. He wasn't required to show honor to the guy that to the prophet that was coming in his house. He was required to prepare a feast for him, and that's what he did. He did do that. And that is that is admirable, but he only did it because he was supposed to. Right? He didn't do it because if he did it, if he would have done it because his heart was connected in it, he would have done more than what was required. He would have gone above the call of duty. Right? You see, this woman, she comes in. Now she recognizes, here's an opportunity for my visitation. And she brings something different to the table. She brings honor to the table. She couldn't bring the same things that the Pharisee brought. She didn't have the money that he had. She didn't have the reputation that he had. But she had something he didn't, and that was honor for God. And that caused God to move not on the Pharisee's behalf, but on her behalf. Because she showed up hungry for God. She brought something to him. She brought her best to him. Right? When we come to the house of God, we're talking about honor. They had reverential fear, reverential awe of the Lord. We come here, we bring our best before him. Now, I know we're all family here today, you know, but these are things just to be reinforced for us, especially when we talk about the dishonor in the outside world that can root into the church, that can creep into the church today. Dishonor in the outside world, there's no honor for how people dress anymore. There's no honor for how people take care of themselves anymore. There's no honor for other people's things anymore. You know, and you don't need to look far to see, you know these things, right? Anywhere you go, you know, uh, 
just something that comes to mind is a rental vehicle, right? When I get a rental vehicle, I don't abuse it. I don't destroy that thing. Yes, it may not belong to me, but number one, one day it might belong to somebody. Number two, that's a possession, and I'm going to be a good steward of it while I own it. But if you've ever rented a vehicle, you see a lot of times people destroy them. And what do they tell you when you buy a car? Never buy a rental because people take bad care of them, right? Just one example of dishonor out there, but that can creep into the church. Let's talk naturally about some things in the church. How are we dressing for church, right? This is where honor begins in the house of God. It's not necessarily coming in. It's not raising your hands the highest, acting the most worshipful, being the most yielded in a Holy Ghost service. Honor for him is procedural steps that we're doing because we love him, right? Just like that woman who brought her best who got down, she cleaned his feet, she did things that were normal things to do, but her heart was so passionately connected to it that it caused God to move on her behalf. You know, just looking at some natural things that we're talking about here, how they dressed for church. And of course, we know this. We're not saying that everybody has to show up to church dressed in a tuxedo, right? But whatever we do have, it ought to be our best. If we're going to wear jeans to church, make it the best pair of jeans that we've got. Why? That's honor. That's honor. Fear, reverential awe of God, that's what honor is. Um, We saw how Eli allowed his kids to behave in the church uh, led to dishonor in the house of God. How are we, you know, our kids know they're not perfect, so don't throw stones at me, but our kids know you don't run around the whole church screaming, shouting your brains out. Has it happened? Yes, it's happened, so don't look at me like I'm a hypocrite. I am fully aware when everybody in the church comes and tells me every, every one of my kids' little mistakes, I know. I could, I could wave my hanky on this one. Parent your own dang kids and leave mine alone. And I'll leave yours alone. Okay. That may have been, I may have soapboxed a little bit on that one, but that, that just, you know. At any rate, no kids are perfect, but they ought to have boundaries in the house of God. You know, uh, my kids at one point in time would leave their stuff, you know, kind of strewn about the front row here. And Pastor Michael corrected me on it. And I'm grateful that he did because I was just like, oh, at least they're bringing their Bibles to church. You know, they're, they're here so they won't forget them. Yeah, but that's not honor in God's house to leave, it, to leave it a mess here. We ought to leave this place more beautiful than when we came into it, right? That's just one aspect of it. Another one is how they cared for the temple. You know, uh, I could say this, I've gone into the bathroom more than once and found the urinal not flushed. That's not honor for God's house, right? I'm sure ladies, that never happens in the ladies' room. That's probably just a men's room thing, but you don't have urinals. Yeah, okay. So that has never happened in the ladies' room. Thank you. It is 2022, so you have to probably... Not in the church, not in the church. How they cared for the temple. You know, why do we have monthly cleaning days that everybody can come to, that everybody can be a part of, so that we can all together show honor for him. Keep this place excellent. Keep it magnificent. Keep it beautiful. We don't just clean the church because it's what we're supposed to do. That's honor for God, right? And it'll show him. Now, of course, if there's a speck of dust in the wrong place, God's not going to look and say, I'm not coming to church today, right? But it's the heart of it. We want to maintain excellence. We want to maintain honor. Those are just ways that we do it. So uh, let's see. Uh, We know with religion, these things can be done just because they're supposed to. But honor for him in the New Testament, the church honor, that fear and reverence of God means giving him his place because he's in our hearts and we want to. Amen?
All right, that was one. I told my wife yesterday I need to ask Pastor if I can just do like a 12-week series so that we can... I'm joking, I'm joking. Pastor will be back next Sunday, and I will never ask that question, uh, nor do I want to. I want to hear what he has to say. So the next one uh, is miracles, talking about the miraculous. Acts 2 and verse 43 says this, Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. So in this New Testament church, we see one of the new first things that springs up in the church are wonders and signs, signs and wonders being done in their midst. You could say it like this, miracles ought to be commonplace in the local church. That word sign means transcending the common course of nature. So whatever nature says is how things ought to go, God steps in and uproots it and does it his way. And that's the kind of life we want to be living. Amen. We want the miraculous in our midst. The Christian is not called to live life like the lost person. And we'll say this, it doesn't have to be spectacular every time, but it ought to be God every time. Things for us ought to happen differently than things for people in the world because we have the greater one inside of us and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so in anything that we come up against, any decision we have to make, anything that we need, you know, pastor's been talking about supernatural supply, we ought to be seeing these things start popping up in our lives. You know, uh, I told you about our, our pool pump situation. Praise God for that. The kids have been enjoying it. Uh, this summer, I wanted to get a road bike, you know, one of those bikes, because I have a, a, an indoor cycle at home, and I wanted to get outside, and so I started looking at them, and they're, you know, a good quality one is well over $1,000 for a good road bike. I didn't, you know, I knew like a $99 Schwinn from Walmart. That, I was like, okay, I'll just save up 100 bucks and go to Walmart. Well, I probably popped the tire after a few times or hit a bump and, you know, be crushed on the side of the road or something, so I wanted to get a quality one, and so you know, I just made a little general faith request to God for it. I said, you know, Lord, this is something that I'm interested in. I'd like to get started with this. So just so you know, I'm interested. I didn't even follow all the steps of the prosperity book or anything like that. Well, I was leaving the church the other night, driving home after, I think it was prayer after prayer last Monday. And I see on the side of the road on Route 20 is a bike and it has a free sign on it. Now, usually I don't stop for those. You know, and no, no condo bondo to anybody that does, but typically in my experience, uh, somebody's just trying to get rid of their junk, right? That's usually what those are. I don't usually yard sale. Nothing against that stuff. Some people really enjoy that, and good for you if that's your thing. It's not my thing. It's just not. I don't enjoy it. But this bike, I saw that, and when I saw that, it kind of, it leapt off the curb into my spirit. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll pull over and look at this thing. And I did. And that was a multi-hundred-dollar, extra-large, extra-tall-sized road bike in almost perfect condition. It needs new tires, needs new brakes, and a couple of cables, and that's it. And I brought it into the store over here to have them see, you know, just take a look at it and see, because I figured, well, it's free. I'll just throw it in the car. It wasn't enough that God told me to go get it. I was thought, okay, well, we'll see, Lord, if this is actually... Well, <laughs> Let me talk to the expert, God, you know, just in case he doesn't know what he's talking about. So I take it over there, and he looks at me, and he's absolutely astounded. He said, this doesn't happen. You don't, this bike is, should not be free. Someone should not have given this away. And I just kind of smiled, yeah, God does, right? And so a little bit of refurb work, and I'll be up and 
riding with that thing, but that's how life ought to be for each and every one of us, right? I have an opportunity to testify. Every person in this place ought to have things that they're able to testify about how it went differently because God is involved, just like he was in this book of Acts here. What did Jesus say in John 14? Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. We know this, the miraculous was common for Jesus. Everywhere he went, miracles were happening. John said that if every miracle that were he did, every, every miracle were to be written down, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain it. And Jesus said, we ought to have greater than that in our lives. So the, the miraculous ought to be commonplace for us. The supernatural ought to be. We could say it like this. Miracles, signs and wonders in the life of the believer are the barometer of a healthy church. You know what a barometer is? You, uh, you hear about uh, the pressure in the atmosphere. A barometer tells the pressure in the atmosphere. The lower the pressure usually means that a storm is coming, or the higher the pressure usually means it's going to be better weather for a long time. That's what a barometer does naturally, is tells the condition of the atmosphere. Signs and wonders in the life of believers tell the condition of their spiritual atmosphere. In, in where they're learning the word of God. If we're seeing things happening in our lives, that means that God is in our midst, right? And we want a church where God is in our midst. On the same side, if things aren't happening in a church, that ought to be a sign to someone that, hey, something's off here. There's a storm a-coming, right? That they need adjustments that may need to be made. They may need to prepare for something or make changes somewhere. But thank God that we are in a place where signs and wonders happen. Amen. The Corinthian church had a lot of miracles happening in their, in their midst. The Bible says that they came behind in no gift, no spiritual gift, and Paul did not correct them on that. He corrected them on a lot of things. There was a lot of things they were doing wrong, but he didn't tell them, you're having too many miracles. Right? God will never say that to us. Thank God. So we want to covet earnestly these things. Next one. Oh my goodness. Next one, uh, Acts 2, 44. And I know most of our verses are just on the screens today just for the sake of time. It says, All that believed were together, had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man has need. And what we see here is God is starting to talk about the place of tithes and offerings in the New Testament church. So we talk about money. A lot of times it's a taboo subject. Folks get quiet when you talk about money. I'm thankful that this isn't one of those places because we're taught right about what the Bible says about it. We have godly examples that lead us in faith, that follow the word of God. Again, not just because it's what we're supposed to do, but because the word says to and their hearts are connected with it. Amen. It's funny, money is mentioned over 2,000 times in the Bible. It's mentioned more than salvation. It's mentioned more than faith. Any of those things, money. And yet in the church, we're hush to talk about it because we don't want to rub feathers the wrong way, rub, rub, rub fur the wrong way. I'm grateful that God doesn't care if he's rubbing the cat the wrong way, right? Lord, whatever you want to tell me, tell me. I'm grateful to hear it. I want to do things the way he wants them done. How we handle our money is important to God, especially with the local church. Now we know this. And I'm kind of breezing through this one because we're all family here this morning. Uh, but we also just want to make sure that these things are, are in us and firm up foundations for us. The tithe is biblically defined as the first 10% of any increase that we receive. Uh, Malachi 3.10 
It says to bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So in the Old Testament, the first fruits were just that. They were an agriculture of society. So whatever the first animals were of that batch that was going to get you know, slaughtered for consumption or whatever it was that they were planting, the first 10% of that harvest was to go to their storehouse. Their storehouse was their temple or what we would call our local church. This verse and other verses tell us that the tithe the first 10% of all of our income belongs to our local church. And if any minister ever says that the tithe can go anywhere else, they're not preaching the word of God. The tithe belongs to my storehouse. My storehouse, for me and my family, ever since I've gotten my first paycheck and I've been born again, my storehouse has been BCF, Family Church, this place. Because this is where God's called me to be, right? Now, does that mean we don't give other places? No, we ought to be givers, and we'll look at that in just a minute. But the first 10% of all of our income goes to the local church. Just mentioning it, we have newer folks all the time. The 10% is to be the first. That means it's off the gross amount of our income before the government gets it. If not, we're saying Uncle Sam has more value to me than God, right? That's what, that's what if, we, if we tithe off of the net or the amount that you get after taxes and all our withholdings and everything, we're saying God gets the second fruits. Well, the Bible's very clear that the first fruits belong to him. And so, boy, uh, this is what the Bible says. Let's just look at what the Bible says, right? And I know we're, we're blazing through this stuff, but uh, it is important for us to just look at these things and be reminded of them. My church matters more to me than Uncle Sam does. Praise the Lord. I'm not telling you not to pay your taxes, but I am saying that if you tithe, God will make sure that we are fully provided for to be able to pay our taxes. Amen. Uh, is this for today? Because that's, of course, a big argument in the body of Christ. Is tithing for the New Testament? Some folks believe that tithing was only for the Mosaic law, only for Moses, that that was the only time in the Bible that you were required to bring tithes in. Well, I'm sorry to say that's just not true. The Bible's pretty clear about it. Tithing was established as far back as mankind has been on the earth. Look in the Garden of Eden. You have a full garden. Adam and Eve could have everything in that garden except for one thing that belonged to the Lord. What was that? We could call it the tithe tree. They were not to touch that. As long as they didn't touch what belonged to God, he could bless them. And if they touched what belonged to God, it would open the door to Satan. And that's exactly what they did. The tithe functions the same way today. We look at Abraham. He was around before Moses was. He tithed. Of course, we have the Mosaic Law, which teaches us about tithing. Tithing was in place while Jesus was on the earth, and the tithe is still in place after Jesus went to heaven. In Hebrews 7, 8, it says, Here men that die receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. It means in the Old Testament, priests who died received the tithes. How much more should churches of the resurrection receive them today? That's what that's saying there. People that are eternal creatures that live forever. Praise the Lord. Uh, we know this, though. Tithing today isn't so much about the requirement of it as it is, again, about the heart behind it. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I've talked to folks. Our pastor is a prime example of this. He, I, think, I think it was a year that he was born again, and he'd never heard a word about tithing. 
he went to Bible school and found out about tithing. But while he was there, he looked back at his, you know, his checking account for the year and he realized he'd already been giving way above the tithe. Why? Because God, he, was, he treasured God. And so for the New Testament believer, you know, we ought not to sit down with our calculators and figure out what our tithes are down to the penny. That's so legalistic. So legalistic. God's after our hearts. You know, I like to round up anyways, you know, because folks, you get money sometimes, you know, from handshakes or, you know, cards that maybe you forget about. I just want to make sure I'm covered, right? But so with my tithe, I always round way up on it. But then it ought to just be in us to just be giving so much anyways that we already cover the tithe without even having to be forced or arm twisted into doing it, right? It's in us to be givers. John 3.16 shows us that God is a giver and we're just like him. The Bible says we're Christians, that's Christ-like. So if that's the tithe, the base 10%, then we also look at the offerings. And this is in Acts. This was in the local church. Paul was big on the offering. Peter was big on the offering. All the apostles uh, were big on preaching the offering. And so the offering is where things we could say get fun. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, again, with all, it shall be measured to you again. So an offering now is anything above that base 10% that we give. And this can go wherever's on our heart. It can go and really should be going primarily to our local church. Why? Because this is where God's connected us to. Our heart ought to be invested in it. But there's times that my giving, you know, for a certain month uh, may go more to something else. It may go more to a different ministry that God's put on my heart to give to. You know, especially when we have guest ministers in and things like that. My offerings to those are usually more than my offerings to my local church. But wherever our offerings go to, I mean, you can, you can give an offering to the Humane Society or the, you know, the Red Cross if you want to. Whatever, whatever's on your heart to do, uh, just believe God that when you do, count it seed. Amen? But as we follow him, not just doing it because we're supposed to, we do it because he leads us into these things. That's where his blessing is. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's move on from that one. We got two more to get through. Uh, The next one is in Acts 2, 47. I'm excited about this one. It says they were praising God. We're just going to look at those two words, praising God. In the Greek, that means they sang praises to honor God. So the next component we're going to be talking about is worship. Worship. We know this worship is a crucial key component of the New Testament local church. Um, But like anything, there are ditches on both sides of the road when it comes to worship. I want to mention, before we look at some things here, New Testament worship. And we're taught these things, but again, it's foundational just want to relook at them again. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 says this, Be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. True worship, according to Jesus, is not just singing three songs together to a track on a Sunday morning service, Right? And I'm not throwing any stones at our beautiful worship director when I say that, or our amazing worship team that's up there. According to what Jesus said, true spiritual worship, that's not what it is. See, now, in the Old Testament, they had to be taught this into the New Testament because back then, they could only worship God externally. They could only worship God uh, 
you know, dancing. They could only worship God with, with horns and instruments and things like that because God didn't reside inside of them like he does today. The highest flow of worship is for me to turn inward, look to the greater one that's residing right in here and converse with him. Have a, have a moment with him. Worship literally means to kiss. It's an intimate moment between me and my, my Jesus, right? That I look inward and I just magnify him. God, I love you. Jesus, I glorify you. That is a high, high flow of worship. Now, why do we do what we do in the church then? Because what that will do, and that's what this verse is talking here about, is when I look inward, when I start to commune with him in here, outside of there, the Spirit of God will give me songs, sometimes poems. You know, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs means that these things will bubble up from inside of us. Songs and, and I mean, really beautiful poetry, you know, things that maybe rhyme, maybe don't rhyme, but just words that rise up out of you to magnify him to glorify him. That's, such, that's the highest flow of worship. But why do we do what we do here then? Well, there's a reason for it. And we don't just do it because the Old Testament did it. We did it because it's how they did it in the book of Acts. It says that they sang praises to God. The reason that we have a time of praise and worship, and my wife touched on this even just in that little bit this morning, praise and worship in a service like this helps us to connect to God helps us to get to that point. You know, uh, my family, we're a very musical family. You know, all of us either sing, some of us play an instrument or they're learning instruments. Uh, but music for us, you know, maybe has a different place than it does for everybody. Not everybody is musical. And, and I, I certainly understand that. But I know that God appreciates music, right? Why? Because he had an angel that led music. And the Bible isn't clear on, you know, Lucifer was that angel. He was the angel of praise and music in heaven. Of course, we know what he did. Uh, the Bible isn't clear on if someone else stepped into that place afterwards. But if he was there at the beginning, it would stand to reason that there is music in heaven. And so music definitely has a place in the things of God. I heard one worship leader, we went to a conference a few months ago, and she described it like this. She said, praise uses emotion to bridge the gap between soul and spirit. Worship, the music that we worship to, uses emotion to bridge the gap between soul and spirit. My soul is my mind. My soul is my emotions. And those are things that God has given us to help us worship him. We do that through the avenue, through with music. When we come into a service and you, you get into this and you know, the worship leader tells you stand up and you think, oh, I don't want to stand. Do you know the kind of week I've had? Do you know what I've gone through this week? Do you know what I'm facing right now? I don't want to stand up and worship. Now, some of you, you're not like that. Some of us have all been there at one point in time. Uh, we've all been there. But in those times, if we'll stand up, and like she said this morning, if we'll put on that garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, and we'll allow the words in the music, you know, there's a reason that the, the I mean, she pours over the, the songs that we do in church to make sure that they are scriptural songs. Because we're, what you're singing, what you're connecting yourself to in your spirit will either help you dig into God or it'll push you in the opposite direction, right? Songs that are all about, oh, I'm so pitiful. Oh, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Those aren't scriptural songs. And they're not going to point you to the greater one inside. But when we get songs that say, I believe in the goodness of God, that when I start to magnify him, that one song that we do, um, not new name, 
the blood. What's the blood song by Charity? Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. I was a wretch, but Jesus came for me. I mean, you just meditate on one line of some of these songs. When you sing it, that one line will just take you right into the spirit, take you right over to him. And that's what music helps bridge that gap to do, right? Praise the Lord. I don't, you know, some of the, again, if you're not musical, maybe this is lost on you. But these are, this is an instrument. This is a part of the New Testament local church. It says they sing praises to God. So when we come to that part of the service, we ought never to look at it as just another thing to get through to get to the destination of the word. Thank God for the word in a service. But all of these parts of it play a part to help prepare this to be a house of God. Amen? Praise the Lord. There's so much more that we could say along that line. But we need to move on. Let me just say this, though. Just to, It's something that initiates in our soul, in our emotions. Music you ever heard the national anthem and you get chills, right? That's not the spirit of God, though. That's purely our soul. But music helps take that and bring us into the spirit, helps bring us into that place. God uses our emotions to get us closer to him, right? If he didn't, he wouldn't have given them to us, and he wouldn't have them. The Bible says that God has emotions. He gets happy. He gets pleased. He gets displeased. He gets, you read it in the word. Now, yeah, his aren't perverted with naturalness like ours are, but emotions are something. He didn't create us all to just be mindless robots. God, I praise you. God, I praise you. That's, God wants spice in life, right? When I started, I started doing meal prep this year, you know, cooking all my own meals, and I was a mess in the kitchen. I mean, before this, I, I'd, I'd made cereal. Yes, you can make cereal, right? I would, I'd make cereal, boxed macaroni and cheese, and I could grill some stuff. I didn't do much else than that. Scrambled eggs, I could make scrambled eggs. I mean, this is real difficult stuff. But now, I started making, you know, things with beef and chicken and all that. And for the first month I was making it, it was the most disgusting food I'd ever had in my entire life. I'd sit down and I'd, go, I'd, be like, I'd be so excited. I'd be like, oh, I've made a, you know, this fancy dish over here in the kitchen. And all I put in it was a little salt and maybe a sprinkle of adobo and three pounds of beef or something. And I'd sit down and be, oh, this tastes awful. You know, and I'd have to crucify the flesh. And I was talking to her about it one day and she's like, well, do you use spices? I was like, what? <laughs> Completely lost concept on me to take this entire, we have a cabinet full of them. But I didn't do anything with them. Finally, she enlightened me. Well, if you're making this, use this one, this one, this one, this one. So I started putting them out. I was like, oh, that tastes good. That's a lot better that way. That's not bland and boring anymore. And so she enlightened me on spices. That's what emotions ought to be for life, right? You can go through life as just a mindless drone, as a Vulcan for my, my Star Trek friends out there. You can go through life that way if you want to, but God's not designed that for us. When the Bible says to put on the spirit of praise, find that joy within us, sprinkle that thing on there, baby. Make it taste good, right? Praise the Lord. All right, let's move on. The last one we'll look at, I know, Pastor Michael's coming back next week. Just endure one more of my points and then you'll have him back. They served in the local church. They served in the local church. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 going to flip over just a few pages for this, assuming you're still back there in the book of Acts. Acts 6 and verse 1 
says, And in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, and we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So we see that the local church was growing exponentially. You know, you've seen one service had 3,000 people got born again at it. So there's a need for what it, you know, what we now call the ministry of helps. What's the ministry of helps? It's all of us, right? We have our pastors here in the church, and then we have those of us that serve in different areas in the church. And each one of us in that area is serving in the ministry of helps. For most people, that's the highest call that God has for our life is to serve in the ministry of helps. And that's not to say that it's not as high of a call as the fivefold ministry. It means just as much to God because the Bible says that he has placed everyone in the body as it pleases him. So as long as I'm doing what he's told me to do, even if the highest of that is serving in the nursery or on the cleaning crew or as an usher or whatever, in, in, in the lawn ministry, whatever it might be, if I'm doing that with everything in my heart and I'm bringing honor for God into that, I'm fulfilling the highest call of God for my life. Praise the Lord. All of us are called to serve in some way. And we see that here, that they established this in this New Testament local church. One thing that's important to mention is that these folks that they chose to serve, they weren't just uh, infrequent, infaithful people that were bouncing around. They were folks that were faithful men of honor, full of the Holy Ghost, right? They were people, now that, does that mean that you have to be filled with the Holy Ghost to serve on the ministry of helps? No, but it does mean that you ought to be someone faithful to the local church. And we help folks do this. We have our, our six-month rule, which sometimes we're a little flexible on, right? It's, it's a rule in the New Testament sense of the source. But generally speaking, we want folks to come to the church faithfully for at least six months on weekend services to show that they can be here when they're supposed to be here that they can be doing what they're supposed to be doing before we give them a greater responsibility. But all of us, once we're born again, serving ought to be a desire that's, right, that's planted right on the inside of us. A child that watches other children as, you know, as a baby grows, those of you that have had kids, you don't have to teach them how to crawl. It's in them to desire to, to move. And they, God's created that in them to begin to figure out how to move. Once you get born again, in your spirit is that desire to serve. But a lot of times we let our minds, we let our schedules, we let our whatever it might be put that down. Don't put it down because a baby that's not crawling after two years, something's wrong with it, right? A Christian that's not serving after they've been born again for many years, something's not right there. And God wants us to see that, that in the local church, all of us have a place, all of us have a role to fill. For all of us today, it's not right if a church has 10% of the people there doing 90% of the work. Uh, it's just not right, according to scripture. And we don't have time to look at verses. I have verses to back up every one of these points. We don't have time to go there, but the Bible says a lot about how we serve. We ought to serve in love. Serve with love for God. We ought not to view serving as, you know, I don't serve to make God love me. I serve because I love God. Sometimes those of us that serve a lot start to think that that, you know, qualifies as my God time. No, it doesn't. That's something that I do for him. That's not being with him. 
You know, he can be with me while I'm doing it, but that's not the same as spending time in his word, learning him. You know, uh, we don't allow folks to serve in every single service and miss church. You know, especially, you know, I schedule the sound booth. All of our department leaders know, especially in children's church or places where you can't be in here hearing the word of God, no one is allowed to serve and miss the word of God every single service because it doesn't replace this. It doesn't replace my time with him. We serve uh, with excellence. We talked about that. We talked about honor. We make sure that we're giving it our all. We show up. We do things the way that they're asked to be done, not necessarily the way that I think or I've always done it, right? That's just having honor for God. How about this one? We serve without division. Don't be someone who has a problem with everybody. Don't be someone who, you know, can't get along with everybody in this department or that department or this department or that department. Walk in love. That's what God has called us to. When it comes to serving, don't not serve because you're not a people person. Jesus is inside of you. He equips you to be a people person. The Christian who says, I'm not a people person, doesn't know who they are. Because Jesus loves people and Jesus is in you. You may not be a people person, but he is. So figure out how to get with him to become that out here, right? And serve faithfully. Be dependable, be honorable. Praise the Lord. All right, God's plans for the New Testament local church. We looked at the 10 characteristics of it. Water baptism, going to church, fellowship, communion, prayer, honor, miracles, giving, worship, and serving. Praise the Lord. Aren't you thankful for his word? I'm so grateful that he gives us the spirit of God that we can learn these things and know that not just doing them out of requirement, but because we love him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for giving us instruction in it that we didn't have to live this life down here wondering. We didn't have to live wandering. That we knew that we can know that we know that we know that we're pleasing you when we live life according to the scriptures, according to the word of God, and we follow your spirit as we do that. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, we talked about the New Testament local church today. I believe we're all family here this morning. But I do want to just mention this. If you're on live stream today and you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life, we talked about the New Testament local church. Uh, one of the ingredients that they had was all of these folks had just gotten born again. They had just met Jesus. What does that mean? That means that the Bible says that we are an eternal creature. And when we die, when we pass from this life into the next one, there's one of two places that we'll go. We'll either go to heaven if we know Jesus, or we'll go to hell if we don't. Being good enough doesn't make you get into heaven. The Bible says that you have to be born again. And so if you need to be born again, if you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life, it's a very easy thing to do. All you need to do is in your heart, believe that he's the son of God, that he died on the cross for you, that he rose from the dead. And with your mouth, you say that to him. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again from the dead so that I could be saved. When you do that, you're a Christian, you're born again. And the Bible says that you've got a place in heaven waiting for you when you pass from this life. Praise the Lord. Uh, you can lift your heads, open your eyes this morning. Where you help this weekend, praise God. Don't forget, next Sunday, Pastor Michael will be back. But we're going to head into a time of worship now. And remember, just like we said earlier, put it on. Dig in, right? Allow yourself to connect with it and, and, and let that help us learn how to worship him in a higher flow and let music bridge that gap for you. Go ahead.